0: Welcome to The Jay Martin Show. My next guest is Luke Grohman, founder of Forest for the Trees. And his weekly publication, The Trees Report, is one of my absolutely can't miss must reads. You know, I talk about the Lindy effect when it comes to news generation and how we serve ourselves much better by not paying attention to daily headlines because most of them will be insignificant by the next day. Why I love Luke Grohman's Trees Report is because he curates a Friday report where he's scanned, and Luke will spend six hours a day scanning news, his whole team, and dissecting what really matters. So on Friday, I just get signal. I don't get the noise. I get, from Luke's perspective, what matters the most and what's gonna move the needle when it comes to macro. So I love his report. This interview was super fun. As always, I love chatting with Luke. And I publish a weekly newsletter. It comes out every Sunday. I love writing it. I'd love to have you join the team. There's a link right beneath this piece of content where you can do so. I preach personal sovereignty, wealth creation, and optimization of health and wellness, which I believe is included and required on the path towards true personal sovereignty. Here's Luke Groman, enjoy. All right, here I am with Luke Groman. Luke, it's great to have you back on the program. Thanks so much for making the time.
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me back on, Jay.
0: So there's a few directions that I wanna go today. Uh, Here's where I'd love to start. Something I've heard you uh, writing, speaking, and tweeting about has been the uh, assessment of the uh, the Fed confiscating Russian USD reserves, you know, 18 months ago, has largely been qualified as a mistake or a short sighted move. Um, You've been speaking more frequently about how this might have been motivated or come from a decision made at the Pentagon with a bit of a, a deeper motive. Are you able to elaborate on that for me? Um,
1: I will say yes, a little bit. My sense is that there were different schools of thought within uh Washington. Um and I think you've let's take a step back. We can go back ten years. And we can uh, 12 years, and we can see the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the U.S. Uh, Defense Department saying, uh, direct quote, we're borrowing money from China to build weapons to face down China. This is not a sustainable strategy. That was Admiral Michael Mullen in 2010 or 2011. Uh, there have been other things the Pentagon has said. Uh, I would point most notably toward an October 2018 report called Assessing And analyzing the defense, uh, the the defense manufacturing base, or assessing the U.S. manufacturing base for defense purposes—something like that. But the date is October fifth, twenty eighteen. You can find it online. The public, uh, uh, unclassified version of it is available online. It's a lengthy report, but the punchline is this: it is chapter and verse for close to 100 pages, highlighting the various ways in which the United States industrial base, and in particular, the parts of the industrial base most closely important to the or the most important to the defense sector, were dangerously sole sourced, dual sourced, or undercapitalized, dual sourced or sole sourced to China, and or undercapitalized as a result of many years in part competing with state-funded, state-backed enterprises in China who need to make less money just by virtue of them being state-backed. So there is a long, publicly available daisy chain of evidence for anyone willing to see it that the Pentagon has realized for a long time that the hollowing out of the U.S. defense industrial base is becoming a national security threat. My sense is that there is, in particular in the aftermath of COVID, when it became obvious to anybody with two eyes that our supply chains were woefully inadequate when we couldn't get masks, we couldn't get medicines, we couldn't get all this stuff because all sourced to China, anybody paying half of attention realized that it had gone critical, the situation. And my understanding, my sense is that the Pentagon elements within the Pentagon, certainly and and other parts of Washington, understand the currency system set up well enough to know that you you get any, any expert on the monetary system, they're going to tell you some version of the way this system works is we export dollars, they send us stuff. They take the dollars, they recycle them into our financial system. That's 101. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: This, by virtue of being 101, um, I think, and when I say by virtue of being 101, just this sort of base level of understanding of the financial system, I think has been understood um, that the way it's structured that the dollar system, as it's been structured, let me clarify, the way the dollar system has been structured, that there is a connection to the hollowing out of that defense base is what I'm trying to say. That is, and that is not to say that that, 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 that these interests of Pentagon, Washington said that they're not smart. They're brilliant, but they're, they're, they're not economists, right? That's that's when I say, so when I say it's at a one-on-one level, it's not about, oh, they're dumb, they don't get it. No, they're brilliant. But it's economics. There's sort of this fundamental understanding of the economics. And they're making the connection. They have highlighted it for a long time. They know, okay, the defense industrial base has been hollowed out. They've been complaining about it's a national security threat. I think in the last several years, there has been the connection to wait a second. The reason this is happening is because this system requires us to run these deficits. This system requires us to hollow out our defense industrial base. And it's gone too far. And so when I what I've been highlighting, I think there was an understanding of this being the case. This has gone too far, and my sense is that um, if you if you want to make a change to the system in a way that is advantageous to the United States, you need to move to a neutral reserve asset. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can trade multiple currencies, but you settle in something like gold at a floating price. But to do that, something has to be done. And this is this is my speculation. Something has to be done to indict uh, the safety of the incumbent primary reserve asset over the last 50 years, which are treasury bonds. My speculation is that this was understood. That doing this would indict the safety of that instrument. And I think it absolutely has indicted the safety of that instrument. And we can, I can say that because I can look at what gold, buy, central bank gold buying did. I can look at what central bank treasury selling did. And some of the treasury selling was defensive currencies. I get that. But again, if it's a dollar shortage, they should have been selling gold too, and they weren't. They were buying gold hand over fist, and it's continued right. into this year. Yeah. So, my sense of this, again, is is has been this daisy chain. The Pentagon has known for years they are getting hollowed out that you can see it. You can put it together. It doesn't take a whole lot of looking. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. COVID accelerated it. And then I think just this uh, this understanding of, OK, if we want to give the system a shove toward a restructuring in a way that is good for the defense industrial base, in a way that is good for America in the long run, then we need to start reshoring. Well, we can't reshore as long as our biggest export are treasury bonds, which is what was our biggest export from, call it, 1980 to 2014. you got to move to a neutral settlement asset. And now you're seeing these things happen. So it's not it, it is a a construction, it's putting together the dots. It's putting together the dots uh, with some informed speculation. And that's really where it shakes out.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, it makes the way you walk through it makes logical sense to me. Let me try to say it back to you and see how close I'm following the puck here, Luke. So, you know, as you said, you, you needed to find a way to remove the number one export, which was treasuries, right? The way you do that is by indicting the safety of that instrument, right? Treasuries by compromising Russia's US dollar reserves and sending a message to the rest of the world that this safe haven asset isn't as safe as it used to be, or maybe as you thought it was. That decreases the demand for the treasuries as export, right? Therefore, inspiring, I guess, US industry to start onshoring because they're not receiving those dollars back. How am I doing on that?
1: And so there's a all. You finished with what will be the end step. I don't think we're quite there yet. We're taking baby steps in that direction. There's two intermediate steps to that, which is it's a, there's a backup of treasuries, right? So basically, we're still running deficits, but now foreigners aren't buying them, okay? Yeah. So they're not buying enough of them, at least. They are buying some, but there's not buying enough. So that leads to a backlog of treasuries. Those Those treasuries pile up. So what happens to the value of something that's piling up? There's not enough demand. The price falls, right? So price nice. of treasuries falls, yields go up. it raises cost of capital. The U.S. engages in a series of actions to try to find a home for this stuff. You do things like you regulate the banks into buying it, like we've done. Oops. That's why the spring was, I think, a really big deal. This bank, not a bank crisis, a treasury crisis. Mm. Uh, you regulate your money market funds into it. And then... When you run out of room, you have either, you you have increasing treasury dysfunction, right? That you have increasing treasury volatility. We're seeing record high levels of treasury volatility, treasury volatility at levels only associated with much more severe crisis than what we've experienced. And eventually what happens is the Fed prints the money to buy them. That's it. That's what's going to happen. And then when that happens, the dollar is going to fall sharply. And as the dollar falls sharply, and in particular, depending on what the deficits in the U.S. are being spent on. Uh, we end up with a, basically a version of industrial policy, much weaker dollar, and now the reshoring comes back. So you're right; that's where the end game is. Uh, and so when you see, uh, when you see things like the Biden administration come out and say we're going to spend fifty billion dollars on semiconductor plants, this is another well, huge, huge clue that people and markets are still generally ignoring, which is when in our lifetimes. Has the United States engaged in that type of industrial policy? The deal was Asia, you take all the semiconductor manufacturing and we will buy it and we will send you dollars and you send the dollars back. You buy our treasuries. Mm -hmm. The fact that the Biden administration is running what is a Trump economic plan. Let's be clear. uh, And I know to me, they're both two wings of the same bird. So I'm not trying to pick one or the other. All I'm saying is this was a Trump economic plan that everybody hated when it was Trump, or at least a lot of people hated it was Trump. And now Biden's doing it, and everyone's like, hey, this is great. I think it's great either way. I don't care who does it. I, it's the right thing to do for America in the long term. Right. But when you see this, you can see where this is going. Because what's to stop it from being $100 billion, $200 billion, $500 billion? This is what it has to be. This is what, in my opinion, it's ultimately going to be. Uh, and the Fed's going to pay for it, in my opinion. Basically, that's the intermediate step is... You get the baby steps in the direction of semiconductor remanufacture or manufacturing reshoring. Uh, You'll get other types. They're they're moving in that direction. It's not fast enough, in my opinion. It's not aggressive enough. I think it's being held up by domestic politics and infighting. But ultimately, what happens is you you go to a they're they're moving toward a World War II economy, which is spend whatever you need to build stuff. The Fed buys all the treasuries. The release valve is the dollar and inflation. And that is that is the process that was started or really accelerated by the freezing of Russian FX reserves. That that starts that daisy chain, in my opinion.
0: Okay, I mean, my the, the question I wanna ask, Luke, is, is what happens next in this scenario? Like if you were to walk through sort of next steps, foreseeable next steps, major headlines, what comes to mind?
1: It depends on which side of the two sides within the U.S. government wins. Um, To be clear, there appears to be two, two different sides. And you can see this. Again, once you start looking through this lens, it's very difficult to unsee it. There is the bond market. Whatever's good for the U.S. bond market is good for America winning. Of Washington, and those are the Larry Summers and the Robert Rubens and most of Wall Street and certain Washington interests and anyone who says that if we lose reserve currency as status as it's been structured for the last 50 years, that it's the end of the world, those are all on one side. Okay. It's all generally around whatever's good for the bond market. Hey, if we need to take unemployment to six to eight percent to stop inflation, then that's what we need to do. Those are those people. That's one side of the of the debate. The other side of the debate are the it's a lot of the Pentagon, um, certainly Pentagon influence, certain intelligence uh, departments. It's um, certain U.S. industrial uh, components, but those are the. We cannot fight a war against China, borrowing money from China to buy components from China to make weapons to face down China, mm. and this is, you know, on one side, you have people talking tactics and you have one side, you have people talking logistics. And it's as, as General Barrow from the U.S. military, U.S. Marine Corps once said, amateurs talk tactics, professionals talk logistics. The professional soldiers are, and, and, and professional industrialists, uh, are talking logistics. And so when you hear things like we need to reshore, we need to, um, uh, reindustrialize. We need the ability to make more here. Uh, these types of things. That's the other side. And, uh, I would say up until COVID, the whatever is good for the bond market is good for America wing of US politics was overwhelmingly in charge. Yeah. After COVID, uh, like I said, anyone with two functioning eyes could see that we had gone too far with offshoring. And while that bond market wing of the of the U.S. political uh, and economic system didn't care uh, while it was manufacturing jobs being offshored, uh, when they couldn't get masks, they cared a lot, um, yeah. to oversimplify, to be a little flippant, but not that flippant. Uh, the military has been the, for the last 10, 15 years, like I said before. So what comes next depends on which side wins. Ultimate so there's two there's two outcomes. Um I guess there's I guess there's really three outcomes, right? Outcome number one is the bond market side wins and we go back to where we were and you know basically we go back to this we're gonna we're we're you know the US is gonna go back to its biggest export being treasuries and, and all commodity trade will be done in dollars again energy trade. Uh and That requires basically overthrowing Putin and Russia and hoping that a Yeltsin takes over or somebody more soft line than even him, which is highly unlikely, um, so that they'll sell oil to Western interests cheap, all in dollars. Or It also requires uh, China to basically do an about face on everything they've been doing for the last five to 10 years with Belt and Road, with China 2025. Uh, with the more hardline stances around Taiwan, basically doing a 180 there and agreeing to basically be a, a return to their position of being a subsidiary of the Fed and of the U.S. Treasury, also unlikely. So that's sort of option number one: is we return to sort of this pre, really pre-08 world. That, that I think there's a very slim odds of that. So if we if we rule that out, you know, I guess option two is some sort of energy productivity miracle. We discover nuclear fusion and we commercialize it on a Manhattan scale. You know Manhattan Project type scale. Okay, that's also quite unlikely. So there's really four, right? So those are our first two of four options. The most vet- most likely options from from here are the next two options, three and four. Option three is Treasury supplies continue to back up because foreign central banks have stopped buying them. And because U.S. deficits keep rising, in no small part because the Fed is raising rates aggressively to stop inflation, thereby increasing treasury supplies as interest rises markedly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As those treasury supplies rise, you get into a a vicious cycle of deflation where, or as the rates rise, excuse me. So as the supplies rise, prices fall, rates rise. As rates rise, you're going to slow the economy. You're going to slow tax receipts. You're going to increase issuance of treasuries as... The economy goes into recession, Treasury issuance rises, foreign central banks actually turn sellers because the dollar's rising and they need more dollars. So now they're selling, Treasury selling, Fed selling. You get into a lot of supply, not a lot of demand, rates rise, wash, rinse, repeat. And if Powell is willing to stand aside and let Treasury auctions fail, and let the United States and other Western sovereigns default on their sovereign debt, because there is a rate on treasuries and it ain't 10%, where it's obvious to everybody, the U.S. cannot afford its interest at 120% of GDP without the Fed printing. If he's willing to stand aside and let the U.S. government have failed treasury auctions and even default on its debt, then that's really good for the dollar, at least initially. And it's really bad, I think, for everything else but gold until you get to that rate where the market's gonna go, okay, six percent times thirty-one trillion is a trillion eight plus this. And they're gonna realize that they're gonna default that year on they they can't pay interest and entitlements out of tax receipts. And we're already just about there, quite honestly, at 5% Fed funds. So the market's gonna figure that out and then it's gonna bid gold. Which is exactly what's happening. The market's going to bid gold despite rates rising, which is exactly what we've seen over the last call it six to twelve months. Tips right. are up and gold's up, yes. right? So, so I'll, up against tips. Okay, so that's option one, and that that's basically the system breaks, and then we who knows? That's very chaotic. Um, option two is either we start on path that that path. Or proactively, something comes up uh, where the Fed basically yields, for lack of a better word, to the fiscal dominance that is now de facto in place. Basically, Fed says, "Okay, we're not going to let 10-year Treasury yields go over 4% or 3% or wherever they cap them like they did in World War II. Mm -hmm. And the release valve is inflation and the release valve is the dollar. And interestingly, that situation is really good for gold too. Um, that situation is really good for Bitcoin. Situation is actually really good for basically any U.S. asset that isn't a bond. And it, and it could be nominally good for bonds, right? If the Fed mm-hmm. the Fed caps ten-year Treasury yields at two, and they're trading currently at uh, where are they trading right now? Uh, three, 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 five, three, six. Uh, hey, great! That could you. But in that world, gold's probably five thousand, you right. know, four thousand. So it's it's it would be a suboptimal expression of that trade. Bitcoin's probably at you know hundred thousand, fifty thousand, I don't know, whatever. It oil's up a bunch, stocks up a bunch. So you either have sort of a complete revolutions in you know to to review the four the four options like revolution in Russia, revolution in China, everything goes back to the pre O A world. Mm. Probably not going to happen. Nuclear fusion or other sort of massive energy efficient, productivity revolution, commercialized very quickly. Option three is basically supply demand problem in the treasury market. And look, I pick out the treasury market. It's the reserve primary reserve asset, incumbent primary reserve asset of the world. Uh, it's the base rate off everything else is based on. And you back up and you have sort of a whoosh down deflation up to and including treasury auction failures or defaults and chaos. Or you have Uh, that happened for a little bit, or you just move right to, and then the Fed caps yields. Basically, they go to yield curve control. And that is extreme inflation, extreme dollar weakness. Uh, And that's actually a global economic boom, probably the greatest we've ever seen since the immediate aftermath of World War II. Because remember, everybody's short dollars. So if the dollar really tanks, Mm -hmm. global economic growth is going to explode, explode higher. It will be It will boom. So those are the four options. And of those four, like option one and two between them probably have less than a 5% chance of happening. So like 95% chance on option three and four. And I think they're a coin toss. Um, Now, they're a coin toss like now. If you say, okay, what of option one and two a year from now or 18 months from now, which is more likely? Option four is the only way. It's it, unless like we get nuclear fusion between now and then. But option four is I have high confidence, high conviction that option number four is how it's going to go. I have no confidence because, again, there's this sort of domestic civil war is too strong a word, but sort of, you know, civil war between the two sides that, you know, maybe Paul can, he may, he he might think he's Volcker. He might think he can be Volcker. And God love him if he does. He's wrong. Right. And the important thing for investors is, is if he thinks he's Volker, and he's wrong. It's your portfolio that's going to go whoosh on the downside until he goes, you know, until he gets punched in the face by that whoosh and says, "Oops, I can't be Volker." Because once it whooshes, the reality is he's not going to let a Treasury auction fail. He's not going to let the U.S. government default. He will print every dollar he has to, because otherwise he goes down as the biggest. Guy. He 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 will go down as such a goat that he, Arthur Burns will look like Volker compared to Powell. So. Right. That's that's why there's these two scenarios in the very short. I don't know. Uh, um, and, and you know, we've been telling clients like we have a we've been recommending a barbell approach. First, I've been, I've been a barbell approach, which is 25 to 35 percent in overweight in in cash and short term treasures. Why? Because okay. I think Powell actually thinks he thinks he can be Volker, and uh, like that's it, it, laughable. It's ludicrous. Uh, but he seems to think he can be. And until he proves to himself that he can't be, and I think that process started in the first quarter of this year, by the way, with this whole banking snafu. Okay. Um, that's, those are those are your outcomes.
0: So, yeah, and I agree with you. I don't see any scenario. I mean, what do I know? But I don't see any scenario where, where China pivots as aggressively as they would need to, right? And it looks like- They can't. They can't. They can't. Yeah, they're far down this path. Um, it appears that there's growing- very quickly growing support and applications from countries trying to trying to join the BRICS nations. Um, I think on Bloomberg this morning they were reporting 19 companies raised their hand to join. I don't know what that means. Is it 13 officially, six unofficially? Uh, however, those are vetted. Um, but you know Saudi Arabia being a key player that's an official applicant for for BRICS Nation membership. Um, with so much demon momentum, I, I can't imagine that scenario. The energy renaissance, I think you're right, maybe one day, nuclear fusion, yeah, but, but this decade, like I don't think it's likely. I think there's a lot more, yeah, a lot more lead time required there. Um and so so with option three and four, essentially you're saying near term it's too hard to tell, but long term there's only one option. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. Now could you help me differentiate something here, Luke? And there's a lot of a lot of chatter about just the future of US dollar as the reserve asset. Um could you help me differentiate between the reserve asset and the trade asset for anybody who's wondering how those things are correlated, if at all? And if the value of one falls, does that mean, you know, the value of the other falls in unison or do they operate completely separately? So just differentiating those two concepts for me and then the expected performance.
1: Yeah, so I get I, as I'm watching this whole de-dollarization debate and obviously I'm <laughs> I'm at least knee deep in it um, um, and maybe neck deep in it, but. I see a lot of people talking past each other or setting up straw man arguments and you know, knocking knocking the heck out of straw man arguments. I think it's important to set the framework for what, in my view, it is. So you have a global reserve currency, which is a dollar. And yes, the dollar is dominant in terms of its international usage. It is a reserve currency, right? It's whatever, 88, 85%, 80, 90% of global transactions. I don't expect that to to change meaningfully. I think that will continue. The other portion of it is the primary reserve asset, which has been the U.S. Treasury bond since really since 1971. We want the gold standard. Right. But it really since the early 80s, that is the part that I think gets people caught up. That is clearly losing share. It has lost a lot of share. People say, well, it's losing share. To it's not losing share to the euro. It's losing share to gold. Yes. Countries are reserving gold since 2014. In 2014, global central banks stopped growing their holdings of treasuries. In November 2013, China came out and said, it is no longer in our interest to grow FX reserves. That was a giant sign. November 2013, it's on Bloomberg. You can find it. PBOC held up a and said, we're done buying treasuries. It's not done buying dollars, done buying treasuries. We're not going to finance the US government anymore directly. Since that date, since January 1, 2014, Global central bank's holdings of treasuries are down in aggregate. I want to say three or four hundred billion dollars, and their holdings of physical gold are up three or four hundred billion dollars. Yeah. Um so so it is crystal clear the primary reserve asset has is it is losing share. The, tre- the treasury bond is losing share to gold. Now when you talk about de-dollarization, for me, it's all around what, what is the system moving toward, right? What's going to replace the dollar? This is a total straw man argument. Nothing's going to replace the dollar. There's no Nobody wants it. And no one's in a position to do so. And nobody wants it because they have to hollow out their manufacturing in the way we went through at length to start the show. Uh, this, what the system is evolving to is a system where either the SDR basket currencies or everybody... Can buy energy and other commodities in their own currency. They can settle in uh, uh, any goods, right? So, on a net basis, so if you're China, people, you know, the only people who run surpluses against China tend to be uh, commodity producers. They're commodity producers, semiconductor producers, right? So, yeah. you know, in theory, Saudi, Russia, Venezuela, OPEC, they're going to own some yuan at the end of the day, in theory. Okay, what do they do with the Yuan? Well, they can recycle them into Chinese made goods with any net settlement in gold. And China in 2014 opened up the Shanghai Gold Exchange International Board. They, oh, that's an opening of their capital account on a limited basis through gold. The amount by which China's capital account is opened is subject to how big, how high gold's price gets. So it is not an open, wide open, open. And so there's just this talking past. of like, People think that the new system is going to look like the old system, but it doesn't. It looks like the system that never was, but was proposed by Keynes using a neutral reserve asset settlement, the core that mm-hmm. he proposed at Bretton Woods. Literally, the pa- People's Bank of China had a three-page paper at the BIS in March of 09, citing that that proposal in replacing the dollar system. But they literally said it, and so that's why I, I get a little frustrated sometimes because there's this sort of straw man argument of well, nothing's going to replace the dollar. Well, yeah, I know. No, they're not. No, they're not trying to replace the dollar. The dollar will continue to be the pr- most used currency, in my opinion. They'll still be the reserve currency, but they're not going to reserve treasuries anymore. They're going to reserve gold. And oh, by the way, the dollar was the reserve currency from forty-six to seventy-one when gold was the reserve asset. So, mm. Except it was fixed price. It's not going to be fixed price. It's going to float in all currencies now. So that I think is what we are watching happen. I, you know, when I first started talking about this seven eight years ago, like, it was it was informed speculation, and I could see it happening. Like, it's happening. Like there's no, you know, when when it happens, if it it's happening. Like you can look at central bank reserves. Look at the tidal wave of people selling oil and commodities out in, in yuan, not dollars. Look at the oil contract. They set up. It's it's all in the open. And then when you see things, when you start looking through this lens, certain events that you have only looked at one way, you start seeing it from the other side. So, for example, I just said they're going to net settle in goods. Well, what does China produce? Well, Huawei 5G equipment five years ago was among the best in the world. And what did the U.S. do? We, went, we, knocked, the, we knocked the legs out from under it with sanctions. We set it back several years. Why yeah. would we do that? Well, yeah, on 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 a surface level, it was probably about just competition. But there's a currency dynamic too, because guess what? If you're if you're China sitting down with Saudi, hey, sell us oil and you want. But what do you have? Well, I got a bunch of plastic trinkets. Eh. It's a very different conversation than, hey, I've got the best 5G equipment in the world. I will fill out you know, we can you can use those you want for the best 5G equipment in the world. It's better than what the West has.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: Oh, that's a different conversation. That's we good. better handicap Huawei. You know, let, let's, let's knock them down a few, knock them back a few years. You start seeing things a little differently. So it's happening. Hmm. Um, the whole conversation around de-dollarization, like you, a lot of the arguments, debates tend to be around, well, nothing's going to replace it. Who's going to gain all that share? Blah, blah, blah. No one else is in a position. No, They're not going to run the deficits. You're right. You're not going to run the deficits. Right. Gold is going to absorb the deficits. And that's really, really good for gold's price over time.
0: Yeah, I was going to say if gold would have to go through some kind of a massive revaluation, if it were to yes. take that monetary yes. utility back in any any percent, really, I mean, yeah, it would be a okay. The first
1: symptom, the first symptom of that that you would see if, if that trade was happening would be, it'd be two things, geopolitically, the first thing you would see would be a war right on the border, a proxy war against the sponsor of that change. Russia. Yeah, because you have to have a nuclear armed major oil exporter leading this change. You have to uh, because you had a non-nuclear armed uh, oil exporter, not quite as big. Try it 20 years ago. It didn't work out well for him in Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. You'd see geopolitically, And we saw that last year.
0: Hold the on. Other Luke, thing you- I'm sorry. Can I get you to elaborate on that point a little bit? Why just run through that that one statement, you need a, a nuclear backed oil exporter to drive this change. Can you just elaborate on that point for me
1: yeah um the united states has never attacked a country with nuclear weapons that it has nuclear weapons okay so it's not gonna be a direct attack it's gonna be a proxy and russia to be clear is absolutely they're, they're the dealer in this whole thing right they are selling oil to china and yuan they are selling they, they are, are a major commodity exporter um and so as long as russia is willing to do this oil is fungible they are a big enough market share um that breaks the dollars monopoly in the pricing of oil in a notable way and that that facilitates russia is facilitating the transition to a multi-currency gold settled system and so those interests that do not want to see this change would have an interest in seeing a proxy war around russia Makes sense. Um, The second part thing that you would see as this was happening is you would see gold rise despite rising nominal rates and despite rising real rates because it's starting to be used to settle commodity trade. And it's been really interesting to me. uh, You've been around gold markets a long time. The last couple months, last few months to watch the standard 9.05 or 8.30 a.m. Oh, look, someone just showed up at their desk. Gold went down $20 in, you know, in one print. And then it just goes right back up. Mm -hmm. And then you come in the next day and it's down $20 at 8.35 a.m. Goes right back up. And look, maybe it's just, you know, maybe they're just waiting to get. But my point is, is that if there's real underlying trade, happening and settling in gold that makes perfect sense the oil market alone is 10 to 15 times the size of the physical gold market globally it's like you can come in with paper and sell it down to try to manage the gold price good luck you're competing against the oil market oils all like like it's literally fighting against yourself right you know Hmm. someone comes in knocks down the price of gold at 835 and then they drive home in their car and use oil and bid okay. the price of gold right up by driving home from their job where they just knocked the price of gold down to facto, All right, And it's over-exaggerating, yes. but you get the point. Um, hmm. If the fact that gold is outperforming tips by so much is a, a very interesting and potentially important signpost that there is more trade shifting toward the gold market in terms of settlement. Because that's that's what you'd see. Like if you're selling in gold, you don't you really don't give a crap what rates are doing. You're just selling in gold. You the gold gold is not priced in the right zip code if this happens. So like, is it 2000? Mm-hmm. Is it 1980? Is it 2020? Is it 25? Who cares? You know the right number is probably two or three X where it's trading at
0: minimum. Right. And do you see anything obstructing this future right now? I mean, obviously you can look at the yeah, influential countries in this game stockpiling gold and understand which direction they're betting it's going to go. Um, you know, I think China is the largest gold importer, probably. I'm not sure if you know that. Absolutely. But it is the largest gold producer and that exports not. you got to imagine they're sitting on relatively significant stockpiles. I think Russia just did announce their recent purchases since 2022 it was another like 28 yeah, tons. Like thirty-one
1: tons. Yeah, so, I think they, they sold three down. last month. But yeah, twenty okay. twenty sort 30, of thirty-one tons that they bought. Which, oh, by the way, was happening while they were short dollars, while they were under pressure, while their economy was imploding. But all these narratives, and then you know, mm-hmm. where 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 the gold come from?
0: Right. Like they were in
1: such pain, like you know, mm. you know, <laughs> it's you don't hot gold, or you you don't buy gold when you're in hock, right? Like it's not <laughs> yeah. You don't say, you know, so, yeah, who 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 would stop and who could stop it? You go back to the the point I made before there. I think there is not a consensus on this in Washington. I think, you know, five years ago, I think it was very much in favor of the whatever's good for the bond market is good for America. And I think post COVID, there's more, a lot more adherence to the, okay, the system does need to be restructured. Uh, We need a neutral reserve asset. Um, Ultimately, um, the commodity markets, you know, the commodity market, you know, what what else could stop it? Look, if if you wanted to stop it, and this is where it goes back to the point of the whoosh, right? Like if there are a lot of powerful interests that would want to stop this because nobody likes changes to the status quo. The way you stop it is a great depression you crash everything mm. you know because right because basically if you, what i'm saying is russia has retied gold to oil and gold is way bigger than oil yes and so how do you stop this simple you get control of the oil or you crash the economy enough so that oil prices crash
0: yes okay
1: now it's not going to work because 90 percent of global oil production has come from uh, excuse me, 90 percent of oil production growth over the last decade has come from U.S. shale, which is high cost. So if you crash oil, literally the first oil supply you're going to put a bullet in is your own, which means your own economy is going to tank first. Your own deficits are going to explode first. But if so, it'll you'll get that downward deflationary spiral if you try to do it. But again, I have no unique insight into whether they'll try to do this, whether, you know, those, you know, my speculation that there are interests in moving to this. I don't know who's going to win. Yeah. Um, And I, without sounding like a a tinfoil hattest, look, the, the, the the status quo doesn't like change. Um, So look that, but increase the longer this goes on, the more, you know, you just said there's 19 countries, Saudi, the more you get on that, that list, uh, the bigger that list gets, the bigger a share of global energy and commodity production that that gets, GDP, global population, the more a depression you have to bring in to stop this. It's becoming too big, right? There's a network effect where it just at some point, you know, you know, the the, the time to stop a stone rolling down the hill or snowball rolling down the hill is when it's, you know, small at the top, if you wait until it really gets rolling. And I, I think we're probably beyond that point where it's you know standing yeah, in the way of it. It's going to crush it. Um, but again, I've been con- I've been consistently surprised by things that Western policymakers have done that to me seemed extremely self disinterested in the medium and long term, but which satisfied some to what to me seems silly or. or, or poorly thought out short term political goal. So, you know, that's why I say we could we could still get some sort of whoosh down.
0: Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So then how, how do you position right now, Luke? Let's let's walk through uh, portfolio allocation as deep as as you'd like to take it. Um, given your short term, medium term, long term outlook, um, I believe, as you mentioned, you're fairly barbelled in your approach. So, you know, what's on the safe haven side of that barbell? Where are you protecting purchasing power?
1: Yeah, so on the safe haven side, it's twenty five to thirty percent in cash and short term treasuries. I don't want to own long term treasuries. I really don't want to own much long term debt at all, um, because it's such a political process. And and um, look, I, I we've I've you know probably we've been talking about being uh, overweight gold. I think we came into the year with uh, you know gold gold miners and Bitcoin in aggregate. I think we said we were like 30 to 35 percent between those three okay um and there's of course elements where gold kind of fits on the safety side with cash and treasuries and also fits on sort of the inflation side so it, it sort of checks two boxes which yeah. is why i think it makes sense having it be so heavy as of an allocation mm-hmm. um and then the rest of it has been in little bit of uh uh, uh energy, re- energy ev related commodities copper uh in particular um energy related and, and you know fossil fuels and that had a great year uh i still like it a lot um in uh industrial uh equities uh in particular around electrical infrastructure so you know um not specific recommendations because we don't do individual securities but like you know the emerson electrics of the world and and uh you know things like that that are making actual electrical infrastructure because i do think uh that helps uh there, there's a um, shift to electrification there's a commodity push there's a currency push there there's a reshoring yeah. push. those there's a bunch that's they are sitting at the nexus or of the overlap of, of several of the different themes we're talking about um, you know, this I think certain types of niche luxury real estate a little bit as well, um, should do well. So it's, it's that, that's, that, those, that is how we've talked about the allocation in terms of, uh, um, you know, for our clients and, and how positioning person.
0: Okay. Now give me your take on, uh, on, on Bitcoin. I believe it's a newer asset to the portfolio. Correct me if I've got that wrong. Um, Give me your take, Luke. What are you buying with Bitcoin right now? Are you buying a potential safe haven? Are you buying a potential future currency? Are you buying a speculation? How would you qualify that asset? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Oh, no, all the above. No. Look, if we take a step back, what is, you know, what is the, what is the what is my portfolio? What does it really do? You've got overweight, a cash collateral short squeeze in case there's this whoosh down and Powell Mm -hmm. makes the mistake of thinking he can be Powell. And there's optionality to that, right? Because if there is the whoosh, you know, protects me on the whoosh, and it gives me the optionality to buy into the whoosh. Everything else is and, and, and that's also the nod where I said in the short run, it's a coin toss. I don't know. Yeah, it's very political. The other side of it, all these other things. If Western central bankers want to avoid defaulting on their sovereign debt, they are going to have to more fully reserve the sovereign debt. In other words, their balance sheets are going to have to get a lot bigger. All of them. Um, It says, oh, the US is going to be like, we're just going to be like Japan. Yeah, we're going to be like Japan, except it's going to feel like we're Argentina. Our balance sheet will follow the Fed's. Or, or, or will follow BOGs. I agree with that that view, in my opinion. I think that's right. But it's not because we're a twin deficit versus China's current account surplus. It's going to feel much different. It's going to feel like 20 and 21 and in, in 22 on mm. steroids, right, in terms of the inflation. And so I want to own assets with no counterparty risk. That's gold, custodied out of the system. That's Bitcoin, self-custody uh reserve assets that will do well as central bankers have to print more currency to more fully reserve their sovereign debt gold bitcoin i would say energy is a a reserve asset of sorts but it's one of those that are there's execution risk the ideal way to own energy is is like be saudi or russia right your reserves are literally reserves in the ground right own own an oil field right if i could find gas and you know and, and put a well in like awesome i would invest in putting in the well infrastructure on my property, but I I, I don't, so I can't. Um, in lieu of that, investing in, I think, productive assets that have, that are close to energy, that reserve asset, that um, for me in particular, I like things that are supply or generation agnostic, right? So. Okay. If nuke wins, great, I win. If gas wins, great, I win. If coal wins, great, I get paid. If oil, right, I get paid. So that's why I see some of the electrical infrastructure, copper, those types of things. They tend to be relatively generation agnostic, and that's why I see it. So it's, it's really around protection against the whoosh for now, because I just don't know, and central banks are going to have to fully reserve their debt. If they don't, they're going to default. And if they default, great, gold's going to the moon because, right? So it's, I don't think they're going to default. You know, when you look at the great inflations in history, people tend to think it's been because of a supply-demand mismatch. It's not. The great inflations in history have really come from countries in a fiat currency system that get too indebted and their central banks have to print money to maintain the nominal solvency of the sovereign debt and we're there mm. that's we're there in the West we were there in in Latin America and other ems throughout sorry, part of the 80s and 90s early 2000s we're there for the West now and it's been a long time but this is where we are and so you need to own assets that are neutral reserve assets that they fully reserve the debt by printing more money that that should do well and that's that's that other side of that portfolio
0: got it Got it. Okay, okay. Look, I appreciate you coming back on, Luke, and chatting with me. I want to push everybody to um, to your platform. You know, starting with your Friday forest for the Trees release. It's a weekly breakdown of like the twelve most significant headlines that you've read. How do you come up with what's in that? It's a piece I never miss. <laughs> I do it every week. I love it. By Thank the you. way, it's exceptional. Thank you. Um, and the uh, the price point makes it a no brainer uh how do you qualify like how do you go through and, and select what you're going to break down that week
1: so it it's much more an art than a science I would say so I I read voraciously I mean I probably read I don't know four to six hours a day minimum uh okay. I mean I love my job it's awesome uh that's yeah. what I like to do uh I've been blessed to read very fast and retain very quickly Okay. Uh, and retained for a long time. I don't know why. Thank
0: you, Mama. Yeah, and Dad. your date retention, your ability to recall dates, by the way, is like phenomenal, phenomenal. <laughs>
1: Thank exactly. you. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's weird. I, 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 like I said, I wish I, that's why I say it's a little bit more art than science. I mean, it's one of these things where I see charts and I don't necessarily just see charts. I see charts, dates, and events, and inflections. And so, and, you know, I've always got to go back and recheck things because sometimes, you know, you remember things and the orders. Anyway, the point is is I read voraciously, and when I see something that grabs me for some reason, I set it aside in a cutting room file, um, and, and I don't always know why it grabs me. Um, and then I go and I visit that cutting room file as I get ready to write it, and I just start seeing what gets teased up from it. And what I'm looking for are things where I was thinking about something a certain way, and it either strongly confirms or strongly refutes what i was think how i was thinking about it and i'm looking for things where consensus is thinking about things a certain way and something strongly refutes or strongly goes against it um yeah because i just found that it's when it helps defend against confirmation bias when i'm looking at it for myself and for consensus when the biggest money's made when consensus is all one way and there's something going strongly the other way like those situations i get i get giddy i mean when i when it's time to write those and they don't happen that often but they happen all more than you think and when i get those situations i mean my fingers are just flying on the keyboard in terms of just it the, the note writes itself so those are those are really fun but that's hmm. so there's no science to it I don't start with some sort of preconceived. here's what I want to talk about this week it's all I read a lot this week let me go to the cutting room file oh yeah oh oh I forgot I read that and that huh. oh 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 that's really interesting okay that's number one you know let's keep going uh, that's number two or uh, you know oh I said that last week but gosh that's wrong now I okay hey last week we said this this completely changes that. And we're sorry, but we were totally wrong about that. Now you, now we're thinking about it this way, caveat Mtor, you know, and, and, you know,
0: got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's a no brainer for anybody trying to understand macro because you can step back and with one piece every week, I mean, as you said, you can just still, you're doing six hours per day, right? To come up with this. Sometimes, yeah. uh,
1: Much to my wife's chagrin sometimes. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's the it's the Tree Rings Report, which is the entry-level product, which is absolutely a great place to start. Um, Thank you. Also super active on Twitter. I'll copy that link uh, beneath this piece of content. But look, thanks so much for coming back on, Luke. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for being on, it was great catching up, Jay. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor,